Hi everyone, this is Pastor Brett from First Baptist Church here in Cherryvale, Kansas, and I want to welcome you to our Cherryvale First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Our prayer is that the Lord will speak to you through His Word for His people. If you're looking for a church home, we encourage you to join us for our celebration service every Sunday morning at 1045. It's a great time of praising our Lord and hearing from Him. We are just a group of passionate followers of Jesus Christ with a desire to worship Him and take His message of hope to the heartland. If you want to find out more information about our church, you can look at our website, www.fbcherryvale.org. My sermon will begin in just a moment, and thanks again for listening. I invite you to find your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. As you're turning there, let me ask you, what is a boundary? I say a boundary is defined as something that indicates the farthest limits of an area or a border. When we think about boundaries, they're everywhere, right? Countries have borders. States have lines. Yards have fences. Homes have walls. And why is it? Why do we have these borders? Why do we have these boundaries? It's really for two reasons, right? The first one is this, it's to keep something or someone in, or it's to keep something or someone out. There are many that look at boundaries, and all they want to believe about these boundaries is just this, they limit freedom. That's what these boundaries do. But consider this, who is more free? Is it the little puppy who lives in a fenced yard where there's no threat to him being out there playing all day, no threat of danger at all? Or is it the dog who gets hit by a car because the gate was left open? You see, something struck me and I looked up the meaning of boundary. Boundary, it doesn't mean that you're severely hemmed in, that you're narrowly confined, or you're negatively restricted. Boundaries actually refer to allowing one to experience an activity to its furthermost limits before the boundary begins. Boundaries, they aren't meant to limit our freedom. We put them in place to protect our freedom. What, is a bo- what boundaries do we place on our kids? Things like what? What do we place on them? Well, number one, tell the truth, right? Or how about teach, treat them with respect? No yelling, no kicking, no hitting, no name calling, no arguing with your parents. Respect each other's property. Do what mom and dad tell you the first time without complaining and without throwing a fit. Ask permission before you go somewhere. Putting things away after you take them out. I mean, and that's just a few of the many different restrictions and rules that we put on our children. Now, as I read that list, how many of you were like, hmm, when I was growing up, I kind of pushed back on that one. I didn't really listen to that one over there. I didn't follow that one at all. And and why do we do that? It's typically because we felt that those boundaries were arbitrary or they were controlling. Or maybe those boundaries were just for mom and dad's benefit, not yours, right? Truth is, children, they thrive in situations where they know the boundaries and they understand the limits. Children claim their sense of security from the appropriate boundaries we place in their lives. The fact that they may push back on these boundaries or these limits, this isn't always an indication that they don't like boundaries, they don't like the rules, or that the rules themselves are bad. There's just times when we know a child, because of that inborn nature they have, what they're going to do is they're going to clench their fists, right? And they're just going to dare mom and dad to accept the challenge that they want. Though many assume this, it's not motivated by any frustrations. It's not motivated by any inner hostility in that child. They merely want to know, mom, dad, where is that boundary and who's available to enforce that boundary? So think about it, parent, grandparent, caregiver. Why do you or should you discipline your children? What is it we see a lot in society today? There's parents who, for some reason, they have determined that it's best not to enforce any rules, set any limits for their children at all. 
what they do is they just view these rules as an effort to control their children in a totalitarian way. Often this is due to a parent wanting to parent their children in a way that was different than they were parented growing up. But their view of discipline is wrong. We should view discipline as our best attempt to implant self-control in our children, not an effort to control them through authoritative control. However, you see, these parents, their impression of rules is this. Well, these rules, they will limit my child. They'll stifle my child's energy, their creativity, their unique personality. When it's actually those boundaries and those borders, they actually provide that child with that proper foundation, a foundation for every unique child to thrive and to grow in healthy ways. Think about your own parenting experience. How do you set boundaries for your children or for your grandchildren? Or have you been one of those that have avoided setting those boundaries because you don't want to get in the way? We're going to look at what our passage, what it has to say today about boundaries and about limits. Because without a biblical rationale for discipline, all the tricks, all the tips, all the ideas that are thrown around in the world out there, they just won't work. Friends, unless you know and you understand the why of discipline, the how, it really doesn't matter. It's the why that provides us with the strong motivation and with the resolve when the how, when it proves difficult for us to perform. God specifically designed the family to include parents, a man and a woman, who together they are fruitful and then they multiply by birth. And then it's there that scripture instructs that man and the woman about their roles of parents. Please stand in honor of reading God's word. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 9. Now this is the commandment, the Lord's statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk about them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage on parenting, I pray, Lord, that you'll open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds to the things that we need to be aware of when dealing with our children, our grandchildren, or, or even just neighborhood kids that come around our house. Lord, may we be those people that are willing to set boundaries, to give our children and those within our care the proper boundaries and guidelines and limits to help them understand how to live life according to your will, God. Lord, speak through me this morning. Let me be your mouthpiece. Let me help you present this message in a way that will impact these families here today in a great way. We love you, God, and we thank you for your word, for it is truth. It's in your name we pray. And all God's children said, amen. You may be seated. Let me begin by saying that, Christians, we know that verse 4 of this passage. We call it the Shema. Look at it again. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This verse here, it's a declaration of faith for God's people, Israel. It's a recognition here of the oneness of the God that they serve. Then in verse 5, it explains how they are to respond to this God. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. 
So how are we to respond? It says there we're to respond with love. That's how we're to respond. When parents respond to God with love, what they do is they teach their children to reproduce that love for God into the next generation. You see, church, multiplying. It's more than just producing and reproducing children in the world. It's also about producing and reproducing the faith that we have in God in our children. When we look at verses 1 through 3 of this text, what are God's expectations of his people? Let's look at that. It says, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. What did it tell us there about God's expectation of his people? Look at verse 2 again. It says God's people there were to what? keep all the statutes, keep all the commandments that he has given. Then in verse 3, it says we're to what? We're to be careful to do them, do what he's asked us to do. We're to follow them. And then in verse 6, that's when God says, and all these words. So we can assume that God means all of the commandments, all of the statutes that he's giving us, that he has communicated in his law. The expectation here is this, that his people, they will heed the words with an attitude of worship toward him. So first God tells us we are to keep his commands. And then God goes on and he tells his people that they are to love him completely. It's in John 14, 15, where Jesus kind of blends the two of these things together so perfectly when he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You see, love and obedience, they are the closest of friends. And it's God's design for the parent. It's to have a loving and obedient relationship with your children. When we teach about parenting, we always include this passage. It's a very common passage for rearing children. It's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. It says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What does this verse say about parental discipline? We're not to what? We're not to provoke them or anger our children. Because we all know, right, when we have a heated exchange with our children, it really resolves nothing, right? And we're going to talk more about that next week. But today, limits and boundaries, they're put in place as an effort to teach and train our children, understanding that godly discipline, it is a necessary part of teaching, teaching our children to obey the Lord. You see, God expects parents to obey his commands, and then he expects parents to teach their children to do the same. Now, what is God's expectation of his children? We're going to jump back a few verses in Ephesians chapter 6 and look at verses 1 through 3. Look what it says. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Parents, what did it say in verse 3? What is the reason for children to obey their parents? That they may what? That it may go well with them, right? And they may live long in the land. And that right there, it complements what we read back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 3. Why does God desire obedience? What is his motivation for? It's for what? What is it? It's for our benefit, right? Think about it. His discipline is for our benefit. Think about it. How generous is God? How generous could he be that at the establishment of his relationship with his people, what does he do? He sits down and he lines out exactly what he expects for them, what is best for his people. He lines it out there in scripture for all of us. 
I'm sure we've all heard this phrase. Perhaps we've even said it many times. We hear parents all the time say things like, well, I only want what's best for my child. Come on. As a good parent, I'm sure we've all said that, right? A time or two. Now, the issue with that phrase isn't behind the intent of that phrase, but instead it's behind the meaning of one word in there, that word best. It's who decides what is best. Who decides what's best for their education? Who decides what's best for their popularity, for their friends, for the sports that they play, for the career that they may pursue? I mean, you get the point, right? Church, it's obedience to the Lord that leads to what's best for them, for you and for your children. And the best thing that you can do as a parent is to live your life in submission to God. And they can live their life then in submission to you as you are submitting to God. Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 12. I want to look at verses 5 through 11. And as we read these verses, what I want you to do is I want you to look at how love and discipline, how they are tied together in these verses. It says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best for them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. What we see here is this. Discipline. It's what's best for our children. Discipline, it underscores the love that we have for them. Disciplining your children, it is not an assault on parental love. It is actually proof of your love for your children. In fact, appropriate punishment isn't something that you do to your children. It's something that you do for your children. You demonstrate your love for God when you obey God. And you show love for your children when you call them to obey you. And you prove your love to your children when you punish them for the disobedience that they do. Remember, boundaries, they don't limit freedom. They protect it. And setting proper boundaries for your children, it's among the best things. The best things that you can do for them. And sure, I've got to say, it can be at times very difficult for both you and for your child. But as it says in Hebrews 12, 11, it says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. I'm sure we all prefer an easier way, right? We all would love to parent without having any conflict or having any issues, but it wouldn't be the best way. Why is it we set limits? Why is it we discipline our children? It's because we love them, and it's what's best for them. And then what does it say in that last part of Hebrews 12, 11? It says, But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Parents, with this as your proper motivation, you can stick to the hard task of godly discipline. Because you know, you've seen there, that in the end, it will lead to more joy in parenting and more joy for your child in their life. We're going to quickly look at two things this morning, and then we're going to close. First thing I want to look at under number one is the faith behind discipline. Understand, as a parent, the primary goal is what? Your primary goal as a parent is to pass on your faith to your children. 
Look at verses 4 through 9 again. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Friends, when you think about all of the moments that you have throughout the week, all these different moments, opportunities that you have to teach your children or your grandchildren, whoever, about God, my question is, do you leverage those opportunities? When is it that you spend the most time helping your children focus on God and learn these biblical truths? If you struggle in these areas, here's just a few quick tips that might help you out. It all comes from this passage that we just read. The first thing you should do is engage your children during the mealtimes. When you sit down at mealtimes, that's a great time to have a more formal discussion with them where you can be more of like a teacher with them, helping them understand and establish biblical values in their life. Next, it talked about walking along the way. We might call this our drive time. When you're in the car driving down the road, you can be more of their friend during that time, have more informal discussions with them, helping them interpret life and all the challenges and the things that are going on in their life. You can also engage them at bedtime. When you're putting them down at night, you can be like that wise counselor in their life and build intimacy with them as you have these intimate conversations right before they go to sleep. Then finally, engage them in the morning. When they rise up, you can be a coach for them in the morning and use encouraging words and you can instill purpose in them and set them out on the right path. Mom, Dad, when is it that you spend time with your children? Time having fun with them, enjoying, having laughter, having joy in your hearts together, savoring those moments of love and closeness that you have I'm going to tell you, it's during those times they will be tempted to test those limits. That's when they're going to test them. But you just know, many confrontations can be avoided by building a trusting relationship with your kids. And thereby, what you're doing is you're helping them want to cooperate by being part of the family. Think about this. In the context of your week, your weeks that are filled with work or school, chores, sports, or whatever it may be, when is it that you spend the most concentrated time with your kids? And if you struggle with this, here's some tips on how to create more quality time with your children. First, if you're too busy to create these quality experiences with them, I encourage you to evaluate your time. See what you can do. Consider what you can cut out of the schedule in order to refocus some of that energy and time on your family and on Christ and one another. Now, if you look at your schedule and say, man, there's just nothing I can cut out of my schedule, consider, well, okay, how you might leverage the time that you do spend with them. And as you're doing it, what you need to do is create more fun times, more teachable moments with them as you're walking along the way. The second thing is this. It's not quantity that matters. Don't get caught up in worrying about getting all this quantity. I got to spend more and more time, more and more time with our kids. Yeah, time is great. But friends, there's a misconception that the increase in the quantity of time with our children automatically improves the quality of time with our children. No. It's not enough to spend an increasing amount of time with them if it's not strategic, if it's not meaningful time. Then under number two, what I want to do is I want to look at the loving authority behind discipline. If you have or you've ever had kids, then you know effective parenting is one of the toughest jobs you'll ever have. It truly is. No one ever said that godly parenting, well, it's going to be easy. 
No one ever said that. But as we've experienced life under God, dealing with godly discipline, it is very challenging. However, facing those challenges, facing them with courage and resolve, it's always worth it. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10. It says this, For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. As we look at this verse here, what's the desired outcome of godly discipline? One of our discipline goals should be that our children, that they will be obedient to God. That should be one of our main goals. So here's the big challenge for you as a parent. As you think about the way you discipline your children, ask yourself, is my motivation for having obedient children, is it wrapped all up in what's convenient for me? Or is my motivation that my children will do what's pleasing to God? And if they do what's pleasing for God, it's going to be what is best for them. Church, it's not about what you want for your children. It's about what your child needs to be obedient. Ted Tripp, in his book called Shepherding a Child's Heart, he gives us a warning there. He says this, Parenting goals are often no more noble than immediate comfort and convenience. When parents require obedience because they feel under pressure, obedience of children is reduced to parental convenience. Look, There will be times when being a disciplinarian in your child's life, it will be very difficult. Not only is it difficult because it's painful for that very child that most of us parents, we would die for our children, but yet we have to discipline them. But see, it's also challenging because it requires our time and our thought and our energy and our commitment to do it. You don't wake up in the morning, at least I don't, maybe you do. You don't wake up in the morning and say, okay, here's my planner for the day. Oh, so 3 o'clock, my child's going to disobey, so I'm going to have to do some discipline today at 3 o'clock. Now, there's no specific task on your calendar that says, hey, this is when you're going to need to discipline your children. You don't likely plan those moments of disobedience. But what happens? They just pop up throughout the day, right? They pop up unexpectedly when you're not ready for them. So what this means is you need to be ready when they occur. We know that our children, by their very nature, they will disobey. Whether we have time to spend with them immediately or whether we're just too busy and we'd rather not deal with it. They will disobey. Parents, let me just say this. Even when it's inconvenient, you must be prepared to invoke the appropriate consequences and teach your children those important lessons when your child gives you reason. Let me ask, do you find that the culture of parents today, do you find it to be more disciplinarian, the overbearing, controlling parent that's controlling their children and everything? Or do you find it to be more permissive, parents going like, eh, whatever. I believe we know that a balance of those is really best, that our children thrive best in that atmosphere of love undergirded by reasonable, consistent discipline. Mom, Dad, let me just say this. You are in charge. You are the parent. Let there be no confusion about who is in authority in your child's life. And you don't exercise this control to yield power over them or to achieve status or to manipulate your children in any way. Listen, you, as a parent, you are an extension of God in their life, directing them toward what's right and toward what's holy. And that's what's pleasing to God. Mom, Dad... If you're committed to your own obedience to God's call, you will gladly accept this authority in your life. And this must come. It's got to come from the overwhelming love that you feel for your child and out of a strong desire to have what's best for them in their lives. But failing to discipline your children is abdicating the role and responsibility that God has given to you as a parent. 
For some, it's as if you're even willfully rejecting his specific plan for your life in favor of your own comfort, your own ease. Parents, you set the boundaries. You set them for a reason. The discipline you use when those boundaries, when they are inevitably crossed, it is vital in raising godly children. Commit yourself. Commit yourself to consistent, biblical-centered discipline for the purpose of training them to follow God and passing on their faith to the next generation. Let me just close with this. Moms, dads, parents, grandparents, listen carefully. There will be times. There will be those times you need to be willing to be a jerk and say, you can't date that boy or you can't date that girl. You can't go to that movie. I love you too much. No, we're not going to play three different sports and we're not going to be going around every night with the whole family in the minivan going from here to there just because everyone else gets to do it. No, this is what we're going to do. Let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to sit around the table and you can roll your eyes if you want to, but we're going to sit around the table. We're going to eat dinner together. And I want to hear what's going on in your life. You don't have to have your heart in it, but we're going to join hands and we're going to pray for one another. And you cause them to have this short-term pain because you're the parent. What you know is this. It doesn't matter whether they like you, whether they slam the door on you, whether they roll their eyes at you today. Because here's what you want. You want them coming back to you 10 years later and saying, thanks, mom. Thanks, dad. Are you willing to be that parent? To be the parent that sets these limits for your children, for their good. Will you set boundaries for your children? And will you show them you love them enough to care for them and what happens in their life? Parents, if not you, then who? Let's pray. I want to thank you for listening to the message today. I pray that this message somehow has touched you and created within you a passion for action for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have any questions or you need to make any decisions or you just need to talk to someone, I encourage you to contact your local pastor. And if you don't have one, if you don't have a local church, you may contact me through the church office at 620-336-2777. We'd love to see you on Sunday mornings in church for our celebration service. It's a great time of fellowship and worship of our Lord and Savior. Come join us. We know you'll be blessed and thanks again for listening to the Cherryvale First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast and have a blessed day.